The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. James chapter 3. Let's get into the word. My favorite, James chapter 3. We are in verses 13 through 18. Now, we've been talking about wisdom through this whole series. In fact, the, the title of this series is The Real Life Wisdom for the Real Life Walk. So, we've been talking about wisdom generally. Today, we're going to talk about wisdom specifically because that's what James is hammering in this text, in this portion of scripture. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to just take note of what your translation entitles uh, this section of scripture. What, what subheading do they give these verses? The NLT calls it genuine wisdom. The Amplified calls this wisdom from above. The New King James entitles this section of scripture heavenly versus demonic wisdom. And the NIV calls it two kinds of wisdom. I'm going to entitle it today, Godly Wisdom versus Worldly Wisdom. If you're taking notes, write that down. Godly Wisdom versus Worldly Wisdom. And if you would, stand to your feet. We're going to read our text for the day. God's Word is living, it is active, and it deserves our full attention. So lean in with me this morning. Here we go. It says, if you are wise... And understand God's ways. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. You may be seated. Godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. Now, when I first read through this section of scripture, the first thought I had was how to spot a fake. James is teaching us how to spot fake wisdom, counterfeit wisdom. And so I just Googled those words, how to spot a fake. And I thought that I was going to see articles like how to spot a fake pair of Jordans or how to spot a fake Gucci bag or how to spot a fake ID or a fake $100 bill, but instead almost everything that came back was how to spot fake news. This is what, <laughs> this is what the world is interested in, how to spot fake news. There was nothing at all in the search results about how to spot fake wisdom. And I'm not surprised. It's not surprising that the World Wide Web is not concerned about helping us decipher between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. But James was concerned. He was concerned for the early church, and so he explains to them how to spot a fake. And along the way, he waves some really large red flags uh, that we can be looking for in our lives. So we're going to dig into this today. Now, before we get any further, I want to take a moment and give you a, 
a good working biblical definition of godly wisdom. Because a lot of people mistakenly assume that wisdom simply equals knowledge. Like if you were to close your eyes right now and I say, I want you to imagine somebody who's really wise. You may conjure up images of a college professor or a doctor, maybe a lawyer, maybe somebody who's older and they've got like white whiskers, they're real wise. If you're like me, for some reason, when you think of wisdom, the first thing that comes to your head is an owl. Why? Like from Winnie the Pooh, the owl, or maybe the like, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop owl? Do you want to know how many? We know because the brilliant minds at Purdue University who paid a lot of money for their, they're doing studies like that, and they found out that it takes 364 licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. But no matter what you think when you hear this word, wisdom, it doesn't just equal knowledge. Wisdom, wisdom is not just about straight A's. It's not just about uh, degrees. It's not just about smarts. It's more than knowing stuff. Wisdom is understanding stuff and then applying that understanding. So here's my definition of godly wisdom that we're going to use today for this. A godly wisdom is knowing what God wants you to do, understanding why he wants you to do it, or his heart behind why he wants you to do it, and then doing it. James is, once again, talking about his favorite subject, application. He's all about the application. So I want to give you an example of this godly wisdom, knowing what God wants you to do, understanding his heart behind why he wants you to do it, and then doing it. My children, one of my children in particular, who shall not be named, they know the verse, Philippians 2.14, do everything without arguing or complaining. They know it. They can quote it back. They've known it since they were little, but they still continue to argue and complain <laughs> a lot. And so it dawned on me a couple weeks ago, perhaps they know it, but they lack the understanding. Maybe they, maybe they think that this verse, like God just doesn't want them to argue or complain because he doesn't want to have to listen to his earthly family whine and complain. Or maybe they think we're just telling them because mom and dad don't want to have to listen to them argue or complain. So I sit said kid down and I say, you've been arguing and complaining and grumbling a lot. Do you know why scripture says that we're not supposed to do this? Did you know that before science knew, that God knew that negativity affects us negatively? Did you know that every time you're negative, that it's carving a pathway in your brain deeper and deeper, and that when you come up onto situations, that will be the path that you take. You'll default to negativity. Did you know that it's hurting your influence, that you're like a clanging symbol that nobody will want to be around you? Did you know that it does nothing to change your situation? Did you know that God told you this because it does damage? to your soul their eyes get real big like oh no I thought you just didn't want to listen to me gripe and complain so now they have the understanding it's up to them to apply it if they apply it they'd be considered wise in this area now I need you to hear me when I say that that we have to have an understanding of why God wants us to do something do not make that an excuse for doing what God has asked you to do. Don't say, well, I'm not going to do this until I completely understand God's heart behind why he's asking me to do this or not to do this. Because here's what happens oftentimes. Oftentimes, it's when we just go ahead and do it and don't fully have the understanding that the understanding, the heart behind why God wants you to do it or not do it, we, we get that in the doing. It comes along the way. 
I also want to give you a quick start guide to understanding the heart behind everything God has asked you to do, and it is because of his immeasurable love for you. You can always come back to he's asking me to do this or not to do this, and it's because of his love for me. So you could say this, godly wisdom is knowing what God wants you to do, understanding that his love for you is why he wants you to do it, and then doing it. I am telling you, the wisest people are those who seek to know God's word and understand God's word so much so that they can apply it routinely in every area of their life. This is wisdom. This is godly wisdom. And I want to be wise. I want to raise wise children. I want to have, Pastor Josh and I, we want to have a church full of wise people. Not so we can just say, look how wise we are. But because James tells us that wise people lead beautiful lives. Look at this in James 3.13. I want to read this first part of our text again, but this time in the NIV. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good deeds or good life, their good life. Somebody say good life. Good life. life. Okay, so we would assume that, that here James is talking about like being morally good and morally upstanding. Like that kind of makes sense in the context. If you're wise and understanding, you're going to follow all the rules. But that's not what good means here in the original Greek. It actually means beautiful. So here's what James is saying. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their beautiful to look at, their magnificent, good, excellent in its nature, characteristics, and life. That's the good life. It's a beautiful life. Next time you see one of those little good life bumper stickers or car stickers, I want you to think of this, a beautiful life. Godly wisdom leads to a beautiful life. And I'm not talking about like a fluffy life where nothing bad ever happens. I'm talking about a beautiful life that even in the suffering and even in the pain and even the most heartbreaking circumstances, that the beauty and the love and the light of Jesus shines through your life. That is a beautiful life. And it doesn't come automatically. It comes by living with godly wisdom operating in your life. Josh and I love movies, probably more than anybody that we know loves movies. We are big movie fans. We are AMC Stubbs premiere, as premiere status as you can get. We get to the front of the line at the popcorn, even though nobody's ever in line for the popcorn. Nobody goes to the movies anymore. Uh, But Fridays, Josh and I are there, and we get there like around 1 o'clock, and it's Josh and me and about 30 senior citizens. It's awesome. (laughs) That's who we hang out with on Friday, and we love it. I always giggle when we walk in and see all of the, all of the older folks there. Um, but, but before we go to the movies, there's a process that we go through. Before we invest three hours, because trailers, travel, it's going to be a three-hour ordeal. Before we invest $20 into the popcorn and the peanut butter cups and the Dr. Pepper and the kombucha, before we invest all that money... We want to know that what we're about to see is going to be worth that investment. So what do we do? We do what you do. We see the preview. We watch the trailer. And based on the trailer, we decide whether or not we want to see the movie. Has anybody in here seen the trailer for uh, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story? This is the most incredible trailer in a long time. The first time I saw it, within two seconds, I'm going, I have to see this movie. The white dress and the red belt and the way that this girl sings in her Puerto Rican accent, tonight, I'm just, I'm, 
I am in. And then, oh, it's a baby driver guy and the can-cans and the dancing and the laundry hanging. And it just, it's the most well done preview. I'm looking at Josh going, we have to see this. I have goosebumps. If you've been around me, spent any more than five minutes with me, you know how excited I am about this movie. One, I love musicals. One, I love Steven Spielberg and the preview all based on the preview. My lash lady knows, my parents knows, my kids knows. We're going to see this movie all based on a two-minute preview. Listen, your life is like a preview. Your life is like a preview. And if you are following God and you have godly wisdom operating in your life, it's a preview like West Side Story. It's beautiful. It's magnificent to look at. It's intriguing. People say, I got to see that. I got to know more. If you don't have godly wisdom operating in your life, your life is still like a preview, but it's like a preview for Fast and Furious 32. It's loud, it's obnoxious. Within two seconds, I'm like, I can't watch this. I'm looking at Instagram instead. Your life is like a preview. If you have godly wisdom, if you know what God wants you to do, you understand his heart behind what he, why he wants you to do it, and you do it, it leads to a beautiful life. Now, I want to talk about worldly wisdom a little bit because we've been talking about godly wisdom pretty much this whole series. But James, here, he starts talking about a different kind of wisdom, a counterfeit wisdom. It's worldly wisdom. And he tells us that worldly wisdom is three things. He says it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Now, before we get too far into this definition of worldly wisdom, I want to explain what I mean when I'm talking about the world, because the world in scripture is kind of like the word nail. Like we have a fingernail, we can hammer a nail into a wall, and the cops can nail a bad guy. Same word, right? Spelled the same way, three different meanings. Same is true for this word world. When I talk about worldly wisdom, I'm not talking about like God created the world, like the creation, the sun and the moon and the stars. I'm not talking about the world as humanity. God so loved the world. God so loved humanity. When I'm talking about worldly wisdom today, the world that I'm talking about is the same kind of world that Paul talked about when he said we shouldn't be conformed to the pattern of the world. John Mark Comer gives a great explanation of this word world, how we're using it today. He says it's a system of ideas, values, moral practices and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. Sound familiar? It's what we're living in. The world is Satan's domain where his authority and his values reign. So when I talk about the world, I'm talking about the world's construct. Worldly wisdom is earthly. It is unspiritual and it is demonic. Now, I want to look at these three descriptors a little bit further because these three descriptors go a really long way in helping us, uh, helping us spot a fake. They help us spot counterfeit godly or ungodly worldly wisdom. So let's look at the first descriptor. He says, worldly wisdom is earthly. What does that mean? To be earthly is to be temporal, to be temporal. It adopts the you only live once philosophy. Make it count. Like you only got one life. Make it count. Have fun. Live it up. Sow your wild oats. Carpe diem. Earthly wisdom is about the here and now. It's living with little to no thought about eternity, little to no thought about the kingdom of God that is here and now and advancing. Earthly wisdom is only concerned with earthly things like wealth, 
like pleasure, like happiness. Earthly wisdom is only concerned with temporary things that you can see with your eyes, things you can see with your eyes. But Paul says when he writes to the church at Corinth, for the things we see now will soon be gone. The things we cannot see will last forever. But the phrase out of sight, out of mind, that's what hangs people up here because we can't see the things that last forever. So we set our attention and our focus on the temporary things that do not last and do not matter instead of thinking about those things that will translate into treasure in heaven. Jesus says that the moth and the rust can get at these temporary things. Moth and rust. Moth can get at your designer clothes. Rust can get at your fancy car. Moths and rust can get at everything that you're putting under your Christmas tree. It's all temporary. It's exciting right now, but you know in a couple of years it's going to be in a garage sale or you're donating it somewhere. These temporary things that we get fixed on. God says those things will soon be gone. You never see a moving truck filled with possessions following behind a hearse. That's just not how it works. It's the eternal things, the things that don't matter that we have to be mindful of. Moths and rust cannot get at my obedience. It can't get at my devotion to God. It can't get at my worship. It can't get at my sacrificial giving. It can't get at my serving God. It can't get at my loving my neighbor as I love myself. These are the things that matter. Worldly wisdom is earthly. It's temporal. The next thing he says is worldly wisdom is unspiritual. Unspiritual. To be unspiritual is to be alive to your desires and to your lust, but dead or numbed to the spirit of God. Alive to your desires, alive to the lust of the flesh, but dead or numbed, novocained up to the spirit of God. Sort of like a zombie, alive but not alive. Unspiritual people live a lot like animals or a lot like Woody Allen. (laughs) Anybody know Woody Allen? Young people are going, who's Woody Allen? You're not missing much. He was a weirdo, director, actor. Uh, And at one point, this guy, Woody Allen, 56 years old, dating his 21-year-old stepdaughter. Dating her, sleeping with her, his 21-year-old stepdaughter. We all agree this is wrong, right? This is not okay. This is not not appropriate. Uh, But when asked about this, here was his answer. The heart wants what the heart wants. The heart wants what the heart wants. Like an animal. The heart wants this. I don't care if it, the heart wants what the heart wants. This is the motto for worldly and spiritual wisdom. People who are living alive to the lust of their flesh and alive to the desires that they have, but dead to the spirit of God. The heart wants what the heart wants will lead you down a path of destruction if your heart doesn't want what God wills. But I have good news for you today. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, Scripture says something amazing happens. When we delight in Him, He fills our hearts with His desires. Instead of just wanting what we want and the lust of our flesh, He fills our hearts so we want what He wants and what He wills. So the question that begs to be asked is, how do we delight ourselves in the Lord? It's really quite simple. It's the same way you delight yourself in anything. So if you delight yourself in coin collecting, what are you going to do? You're going to invest in coins. You're going to study coins. You're going to research coins. You're going to be in groups of people who also love coins. 
If you delight yourself in espresso like myself, I delight myself in espresso. And I am going to wake up and have a cup of espresso every morning. I'm going to sit down and slowly enjoy every last drop. I'm going to research the best beans. I am going to, when I'm on vacation, I'm going to be looking for the best place to get espresso. I'm going to find my favorite cups on eBay that you can't find in stores. I'm going to talk to other people who love espresso. I'm going to convert people who don't like espresso to be espresso drinkers. I delight myself in espresso. I delight myself in the Lord in the same way. I spend time investing in him, in my relationship with him. I spend time studying the life of Jesus. I spend time soaking in his presence, not in a hurry, slowly drinking him in every morning, letting him infiltrate my life. I, I, I make him the center of my life. I delight myself in him. I, I purpose to make every moment holy, to practice the presence of God, so much so that I'm sitting in a movie every week and I'm thinking about him. We went to go see Encanto with the kids and I'm thinking, uh, uh, this movie is great and fun and Lin-Manuel Miranda and the soundtrack and it's so fun and I'm just thinking about Jesus and the Jesus themes I'm picking up in the movie and I get in the car and I preach to my kids the message of Jesus through this movie and they know mom can make any movie preach and it's because I delight myself in Jesus. He is the center of my life. And when we delight, when we take time to delight ourselves in the Lord, not just here on Sunday, but all of the time, throughout our day, every day, then his will and his desire begin to fill our heart. Then we can follow our heart because we're being led by the Spirit. But if you're dead or numb and you're not delighting yourself in the Lord, be careful when following your heart. Worldly wisdom is demonic. Demonic. To be demonic is to be influenced and approved by Satan's kingdom. What is Satan's kingdom? We talk a lot about God's kingdom here. In fact, I had you write a definition for God's kingdom in your Bible a couple of months ago. God's kingdom is the rule and reign of God advancing here on earth, bringing wholeness and healing and chasing out the chaos. So Satan's kingdom is the opposite. It is the rule and reign of Satan advancing here on earth, bringing destruction and brokenness by ushering in the chaos. God's kingdom is built on light and truth. Satan's kingdom is built on darkness and lies. Demonic wisdom steals, kills, and destroys. When I think of demonic wisdom, I think of Purdue Pharma. They're the makers of the wonder drug, the opioid OxyContin. And they knew that this drug was not as safe as they marketed it to be. And instead of pulling it, instead of working with the FDA to figure out how to make it safer, instead of training doctors and their med sales teams about the dangers of this drug, they just kept coming out with more powerful pills. They were under the demonic influence and their activity was being influenced by the kingdom of darkness as thousands and thousands of families and people and lives were being destroyed by this drug. People were dying daily. This was Satan's kingdom. The opioid crisis is the kingdom of Satan advancing on the earth, and it's being run by some of the most brilliant minds, but who are brought in and under this worldly wisdom construct, and it leads to demonic activity. Worldly wisdom is earthly, it's unspiritual, and demonic. And it is not something that we as followers of Jesus should be subscribed to. 
We don't have to, we don't have to subscribe to the world's way of doing things, of, of, of their social norms, of their status quos. Jesus, he prayed this prayer for you. Did you know that he talked to his father about you and about me and about our relationship with this world? He prayed this for you. It's in scripture in John 17. I want to read you this prayer today. And as I read it, I'm going to replace like they and them with my name. And when I say my name, I want you to think of your name. If you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, raise your hand. Okay, this prayer is for you. This prayer, Jesus Christ prayed this prayer for you about your relationship with the world. Let's look at it. He says, now I'm coming to you. I've told them, my disciples, many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with joy. I have given Sarah your word. The world hates her because she does not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take Sarah out of the world but to keep her safe from the evil one. Sarah does not belong to this world any more than I do. Make her holy by your truth. Teach her your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending Sarah into the world, and I give myself, this is wild, I give myself as a holy sacrifice for Sarah so she can be made holy, which means to be set apart by your truth. And so many believers are just mingling in with the worldly wisdom and saying, no, Jesus saying, no, I prayed this for you. I gave myself for you so you could be set apart from the world's wisdom and you could have a different construct, a godly construct. We don't belong to this messed up system of ideas, these twin sins of rebellion and and institutionalizing, changing around what good and evil is, the status quo, the social norm. We do not belong to the world but we're still here. We still live in this world, so we're gonna be infiltrated daily, bombarded by the world's wisdom. It gets on us even when we don't realize it. When one social media post at a time, one magazine article at a time, one show, a one conversation with a coworker, even our own, if we, if we cut out all social media, got away from all people, we would still have our own, own unnatural, uncarnal desires or carnal desires that would lead us to, to Think worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom. So what do we do? We're in this world. We're infiltrated and bombarded by the worldly wisdom all the time. How do we stay on guard? Well, James gives us a couple of things to pay attention to. These are the red flags. These are what he says we need to be looking for. This is how we fact check and figure out the wisdom that we're operating in. Is this worldly wisdom or am I thinking with godly wisdom? He tells us some fruit to be looking for, right? Here it is in James 3, 15 through 16. You ready for some red flags? Somebody say red flag. red flag. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly and spiritual and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. The fruit of worldly wisdom. I was talking to somebody about this this week. I said, what do you think the fruit of worldly wisdom would be? Jealousy and selfish ambition never once were mentioned. We don't think of these things as tying these into worldly wisdom. But James says, no, this is, a, this is a big red flag. This is the fruit. You need to be paying attention and watching for these things in your life. The first one is jealousy. I feel like jealousy is pretty common among Americans because most Americans are living from the worldly wisdom construct. And, and it's not something that's super frowned upon. 
Like it's kind of winked at, it's kind of normal, it's kind of cute. It's what a lot of companies, uh, they, they use, they, they capitalize on your jealousy. Like they make money off of your jealousy. Like they know that you want to keep up with this person and to, to keep up with this person, you need this product, you need this car, you need... So they, they, they use your jealousy to make money. Like it's, it's a normal thing in our culture. Just jealousy is a desire for another's gifts, possessions, position, or achievements. Our culture winks at it, but we as followers of Jesus Christ should not. Jealousy isn't cute. It is not normal. It's super dangerous. Jealousy murdered Abel. Jealousy threw David or threw Joseph in a pit, sold him into slavery, and jealousy sent Jesus to the cross. If we're operating in the worldly wisdom, jealousy will be a fruit of our lives because think about those descriptors again. It's earthly, it's temporal. Jealousy is thinking about things that they can, it can see and want, the temporary things, the clothes, the house, the car. But here's the thing, and you all know this. We're not dumb. We know this. If we are basing our lives and hoping that we can be the best in any type of temporal thing, somebody is always going to have it better than you. No matter where you're at in life, somebody will always have it better than you. So if you're living for these temporary things, you're going to be caught in this cycle of jealousy. Because just when you think you have the best, somebody else comes along and has the better. And then you're, you're, you're stuck with jealousy. Yeah. What about the unspiritual part? The heart wants what the heart wants. How does this factor into jealousy? Well, think about it. If the heart wants what the heart wants and you're chasing after that and somebody else gets what your heart wants guess what you're left with? Jealousy. You're feeling jealous. The world's wisdom is demonic. Jealousy is demonic. And you think, no, it's not demonic. It's, not, it's just an emotion that we deal with. No, it's demonic. Pilate said that he knew very well the religious leaders arrested Jesus out of envy. Don't you think that that plot was being influenced and approved by the kingdom of Satan? Jealousy is demonic. It seeks to steal, to kill, and destroy. So I've got some questions for you to write down, some homework for you this week. Saturday night, somebody said, man, I love that message, but I am not looking forward to the homework. <laughs> questions are, who are you jealous of? Who are you jealous of and why are you jealous of them? I believe if you will wrestle these questions to the ground with the Holy Spirit this week, he will reveal some things to you and you will see that the only reason that you would be jealous of that person for that reason is because somewhere along the line you bought into this worldly construct, this worldly system. You're either thinking temporary or you're thinking unspiritually and carnally or it's demonically inspired. So ask the Lord those questions. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you, am I jealous of anybody? Why am I jealous of anybody? Work it out. Maybe it's your husband you're jealous of. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody on the worship team. Maybe it's somebody in your, your class at school. Who are you jealous of? Why are you jealous of them? God wants to set you free. Once he shows you that, repent and shake it off and move forward into the light and the hope of Jesus Christ. This is good. It's good. It's not exciting at first, but I promise you'll thank me for this homework later. Jealousy is a fruit of worldly wisdom. The second one that James points out is ambition. Now, if jealousy is, is not frowned upon, ambition is different. It's not only not frowned upon, but it is celebrated and it is cheered and it is really seen as a wonderful quality for somebody to have, ambition. 
Now, not all ambition is bad. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I think that's a good ambition. Make it your ambition to image, uh, image forth Jesus, to, to practice the way of Jesus. That's a good ambition. But what James is warning us about here is a selfish ambition. He says a selfish ambition is the fruit of worldly wisdom. Selfish ambition evaluates everything by the world's standards, temporal, animalistic, and demonic. And here's what personal, or here's what selfish ambition does. It makes personal gain life's highest goal. Personal gain is life's highest goal. What's your life's highest goal? It's a good question to ask. Selfish ambition lives by the motto, the ends justify the means. Or let me say it like this. Selfish ambition lives by the motto, it doesn't matter um, who I hurt or, or what I do or what I don't do along the way as long as I get the personal gain that I'm after. Like the ends, as long as I get life's highest goal, my personal gain, the means that I had to, to take to get there, it doesn't matter. The ends justify the means. This comes back to those three descriptors. It is an earthly temporal mindset. If you're only thinking about the here and now and the things that you can see, then people don't really matter to you. Their feelings, their emotions, uh, it's dog eat dog. It's am I really my brother's keeper? And I know I'm not going to give to that because I want this. And, and it, my personal gain is, is this thing that I'm saving toward. And it's, it's a life that doesn't understand kingdom principles. It doesn't understand the things that Jesus taught. It's not thinking about eternity and, and heavenly treasures. It's only thinking about right now. It's unspiritual. The heart wants what the heart wants. It chases after whatever, whatever it thinks that, that it can get to get to that place of personal gain, which it will never find. You'll never find satisfaction outside of Jesus. And it's demonic. Again, you're like, ah, oh, that's such a strong word. It's selfish ambition really demonic? Yes. It steals, it kills, and it destroys. I'll steal from my customers. I will steal time away from my family. I'll steal the credit that belongs to somebody else, as long as it gets me the personal gain that I'm after. I will kill my competitors. I will kill myself working to death. I will kill my joy. I'll kill my peace, and I'll kill my sanity. You see it all the time. I'll destroy my relationship with my spouse, with my children. I'll destroy my health. I'll destroy my friendships. Selfish ambition, making personal gain your highest goal, is rooted in earthly and spiritual and worldly wisdom. The world has sold you a lie, and you have bought into it, and it leads to destruction. Two questions, two more questions for homework. What is driving you? What is driving you? What is the thing that causes you to get up out of bed in the morning? Is it making a name for yourself? Is it being top of your class? Is it being best on your team? Or is it bringing God glory? Everything you say and do would bring God glory. The next question is, do people feel used by you or loved by you? Used by you or loved by you? Are people just a pawn in your selfish ambition game or do you actually love people? That's the heart of Jesus, to love people. Nobody ever felt used by Jesus. They felt so loved when they were with him. And he was on the most important mission ever. But they didn't feel used by him. Do people feel used or loved by you? I believe the same thing. If you'll spend time unpacking these questions with the Holy Spirit, that he'll show you, oh man, this is where I'm off. It's not condemnation. It, 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 it's, it's uh, 
What am I looking for? Conviction. It's conviction. Conviction is good. Lean into it. Repent and ask God to give you a new goal for your life. Life's highest goal to help him be your highest goal. James warns us that jealousy and selfish ambition lead to disorder and to evil of every kind. Disorder and evil of every kind. Do you see disorder in your home? Is there disorder in your health, your mind, your finances, evil? It could be, not always. Sometimes it's an attack of the enemy. But it could be that there's some worldly wisdom that you're operating in and jealousy and selfish ambition and it's causing everything to be out of order. And you're experiencing that. God says, I want to set you free from that. I want you to operate in godly wisdom. We talked a lot about the bad fruit. Let's talk about the good fruit of godly wisdom. Godly wisdom, it's knowing what God wants you to do, understanding his heart behind why he wants you to do it, and then it's doing it. So let's look at godly wisdom, genuine wisdom. How do you spot true wisdom, heavenly wisdom? He gives us the answer here, James 3, 17 through 18. He says, the wisdom from above is first of all pure. Isn't that refreshing? That's so much better than demonic and, 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 and um, uh, unspiritual. It's pure. It's pure. I like that. It's first of all pure. It's also peace-loving. It's gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So it's evil and disorder. That's the world's wisdom. That's what it leads to. Or it's a harvest of righteousness. Evil and disorder or a harvest of righteousness. I want the harvest of righteousness. I'm going to have to be operating in godly wisdom to see this good fruit. For this fruit to be on display in my life, I need godly wisdom. When we have godly wisdom, here's the kind of pure fruit that our life will produce. Peace-loving. The fruit of loving peace will be on display in your life. Not just experiencing peace, but loving peace and making peace. So people will be able to eat of that fruit. Your spouse will be able to eat at that fruit. You, you get in a tiff and you're mad and you're tempted to go to bed angry and your backs turn toward, toward each other, but you have godly wisdom in operation and you love peace. You're a lover of peace. And so you say, no, we're not, I'm, we're, we're going to work this out. We're going to get on the same page. We're going to come back together and get in unity because I love peace because I operate in godly wisdom. Gentle at all times. It's a fruit of your life if you operate in godly wisdom. Uh, Matthew Arnold says this is a sweet reasonableness. I think that's a really good quality. I would love for somebody to say that about me. She's got a sweet reasonableness about her. She's not unreasonable and she's not ugly. She's a sweet reasonableness. That's a fruit of godly wisdom. Another fruit is that you're willing to yield to others. It means you're a really good listener. You know how to listen. Um, You're willing to listen and then you're skilled in knowing whether or not you should yield. It doesn't mean that you yield to everybody all the time, but you're willing to yield. You're willing to listen. And you're willing to, 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 if you've got godly wisdom, say, I know I should yield or I'm going to hold my position. But as I hold my position, I've got a sweet reasonableness to me. It's godly wisdom. The fruit of mercy. Are the people in your life eating of the fruit of mercy that your life is producing? Do your children see mercy in your eyes? 
Does your spouse get to eat of the fruit of mercy? Do your employees, people in your class, your students, do they get to eat of the fruit of mercy? Good deeds. Godly wisdom is a good deeds factory. Like you're just loving people and serving people and showing up and serve for Serve Saturday. You're holding babies. You are giving sacrificially, feeding the poor, loving orphans. It's just who you are. Good deeds because you're not caught up in this temporal, only things I can see. You're thinking about the kingdom of God. You're thinking about things that translate into treasure and heaven. And good deeds are just a fruit of your life. Godly wisdom shows no favoritism. The fruit of your life is... I value every person because God values every person. Every person bears the image of God and I see God in them and I value them. It's a fruit of your life if you have godly wisdom because you're not looking at the clothes. You're not looking at the temporary things. You're not after just what you want, your heart wants. You're after loving and ministering to this person. You're always sincere. The fruit of godly wisdom is sincerity, of being genuine, a genuine person, not a hypocrite not hiding behind a mask, but honest and sincere and genuine. This is a harvest of righteousness. Sounds pretty fantastic, right? This is what I want. I want to have a harvest of righteousness. I want this fruit to be on display in my life. I want the people that are in my sphere of influence to be eating of this fruit because I'm operating in godly wisdom. So how do we get this godly wisdom? James is super clear. He's clear as kind. James 1, 5, he says, it's the beginning of his letter. He's imploring the church. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to some. No. Who gives generously to all. To all who will humble themselves and say, I need wisdom. He gives generously to all. Without reproach. And it will be given to him. So we're going to ask God together today. You need some wisdom, some godly wisdom? I need some godly wisdom. So let's ask God together. If you would, stand to your feet. I wrote a prayer this week for us, and I want to pray it over you, and I want you to keep your eyes open while we pray, because you can do that. It's allowed. Keep your eyes open, because I want you to look at this prayer, and I really want you to make it the prayer of your heart heart. You can even say it along with me if you want. Last service, they just started saying it with me. It was really powerful. So say it with me if you want. I want you to put your hand over your heart if this is you. If you're like, yeah, I need some godly wisdom. I like wisdom. I'm going to ask God and believe that he's going to give it to me generously. Let's pray. Our generous Father in heaven, I ask you for godly wisdom. I desire to know what you want me to do, and I want to understand why you want me to do it. Help me to apply the understanding you give me in such a way that it leads to a beautiful life. Godly wisdom is found in your word. Help me prize and esteem wisdom to desire and cherish her. Make my ear attentive. Create in me a heart that seeks wisdom like silver and searches for her like hidden treasure. Surround me with wise walkers and seasoned talkers so I too can become wise. Help me to spot worldly wisdom and grant me an adverse reaction to its earthly, unspiritual, and demonic nature. Reveal to me any jealousy or selfish ambition lurking in my heart so I may repent. I count it all joy to be considered by the world a fool for Christ. May godly wisdom produce a harvest of righteousness in my life. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.